The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Based in New York City, Aaron Rodgers is a Canadian-American composer and saxophonist. Named a rising star by Broadway World, her decidedly future-oriented music has been performed globally at Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, Centro Nacional de las Artes in Mexico City, Mata Festival, Celebrity Series of Boston, Aesthetic Festival at Merkin Hall, Prototype Festival, Edmonton Fringe Festival, French Quarter Festival in New Orleans, Circulo de Bellas Artes in Madrid, and Nye Music Bergen in Norway. Crossing genres from music theater to opera to installation to silence, she has received honors from the Barlow Endowment, Library of Congress, Copeland House, and the Jerome Foundation. Her music has been featured in the New York Times, The New Yorker, Music Works Magazine, and The Wire. An avid freelancer, Rogers has performed with the International Contemporary Ensemble, Tela, Wet Ink, and Wild Up. Rogers is co-artistic director of the performance ensemble Thing NY, New Thread Quartet, Hypercube, and Pope Bama, and can be heard on New Focus Recordings, New World Recordings, Tonus Vivas, Edition Vindelweiser, and Gold Bolas labels. Her solo album, Dawn Treader, is available from Relative Pitch Records. Rogers is a Diodario Woodwinds artist and Chamber Music Society of Lincoln Center teaching artist. Specifically, no, I, I don't really think so. This taste is awful. I mean, Period. I, mean, I just don't know. 
Number two, Rihanna's bikini confidence is truly aspirational. Don't you be inspirational? Aspirational. Number three, a majority of white women voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Anytime I'm approaching a piece, it's the first thought is like, what is the final manifestation of this? project mm. what is is there an audience who or who are who is the audience is it you know folks at home with headphones is it you know folks in a live venue so uh or is it you know folks that that watch a lot of dance i mean it, it's just yeah. a all of those things are considerations so i typically work backwards in that way i have certainly a, a lot of ideas floating around that uh, you know at any point sort of like apples on a tree you pick them off but i always want them to be guided by the the final idea of what, you know, who, who, what, where, when, and I guess all of those inform the how. So, so how soon does that happen? So you're inspired uh, in some way, you know, you have this creative idea. Um, do you immediately then jump to, okay, well, who would this be for and how would I pull this off? Typically, uh, typically there's three or four who's floating around at any given time. Okay. Um, and yeah. it's sort of it's it's, it's sort of uh, that order is decided based on urgency. Is there you know a, a deadline, a commission, a performance, something? Um, and that's the project that I'm then working on, and I've decided to work on with you know greater haste than the other projects, which are in a line and will eventually um, be accomplished you know, before the end of my life. But the uh, the lineup of of folks um, that I you know plan to collaborate with have. In initiated collaborations with they've initiated with me that um, that list is pretty long actually uh, okay. and when it runs short or when something else kind of jumps in in line ahead of something it's typically uh, you know inspired by something that just seems so urgent that it, you know has to has to happen and the yeah. other thing that um, that always um, sits in that line are my groups that I you know at any given time I right. might really want to write for thing and why or or do a project with hypercube or you know um, come up with some new idea for popama and there's yeah. just uh that's um it just seems to flow organically you're a part of these many groups that you just talked about you're a performer in those groups but then you're also a, a composer in those groups as well and those are very different they're very different types of ensembles um uh instrumentation yes but also sort of their mission or even their ethos right is that part of this process too is that those are very different types of ensembles mm -hmm. right now thing and why is uh working on a piece for the look listed festival this spring which is going to be based around mailing mailers uh through the usps and we've been working on this for the last three months and the the process of creating this piece is has is so general at the beginning that it, it's really just imagine anything you could possibly imagine um being possible and you know whittling it down as the dates become closer uh, where we have to deliver I'll literally deliver but we don't deliver the post <laughs> right post they deliver yes they deliver but the um that the way that that process works is in stark contrast to a group like hypercube where we usually um, we usually have a finished piece of music on stand and then we get together and play through it and then we rehearse in a you know particular process over you know, particular amount of time and then, you know, result in the final recording or what, whatever the end process is, if it's a live performance, mm -hmm. um, you know, post pandemic, whenever that happens again, that's, you know, the final manifestation of that. So I think the, the, just the different natures of the 
of the projects and the different group members, the different inspirations, and um, this the you know the different the different ways of wanting to work together keeps it interesting. It's sort of like variety is the you know spice of life or whatever the the saying is that okay. that allows me to use uh, creativity in a different way and to cross pollinate from group to group and to and project to project and even to my own you know, composition. Um, I like to do things with my own compositions that don't necessarily cover with these projects in, in different groups. Um, and then sometimes it's fun to be just straight up composer and sometimes it's fun to just be a performer and interpret. And those are very different skills and skill sets. There's not zero crossover, but there, there yeah. are different ways of coming at uh, projects um, knowing, a, knowing your role. So um, those change, and I think you know every situation is different. So it's just dealing with imperfect information at all times and coming up with the best way to move forward. How does improvisation, self-improvisation, as well as with other people, how does that play into your creative process? So I mean, besides just creating um, a solo improv, what you do, sure. I uh, I enjoy improvising, and then. Like capturing, archiving, and then watching back, seeing what what's there, what what's interesting about it, what is um, what are the things that you don't catch when you're actively doing it or performing that exists in in the sort of listener space and the audience space, and those are really important. Um, those elements inform how you might create and attack it from the other side. So, it, I always find it very different um, to play and then to listen back and to hear what's there. Uh, the phrases that you didn't realize that you know were there um, are actually there upon listening back, or you know the the way in which that you know performative action flows from here to here doesn't look at all like what you thought it would. And I'm not ashamed to say that I don't have the necessarily all the skills to always always predict what will work and what won't. And so the the failsafe for that is to constantly just be reviewing and, and looking over the work you've made. Um, and if you can't, you know, if you're if you're not at the disposal to, you know, have others in the room to do these things for you, if you're not directing a cast and, and or, you know, running an ensemble, you don't actually have the you know the forces to to do that. So you can do it yourself. Um, and that's mm -hmm. I do the same thing when I'm writing a piece. I try to improvise. It doesn't matter what instrument, just improvise in some way to at least, you know, at least to hear back what I'm making and, you know, to, to see if it's, if it's interesting to me as a viewer. And a social worker, educator, attorney, parliamentarian, minister of legal affairs, minister of education. Her Excellency Prasad Bisnagar was elected as the first female Prime Minister of Trinidad and Tobago. What does it take to be a Shenyun dancer? And now one word from our sponsors.
on Black Friday because it's terrible. about time for Cyber Monday. So bad. On View is a um, 20-minute piece for Camerton Ensemble uh, out of Pittsburgh, and um, it was commissioned through the Barlow Endowment, which uh, was in initially supposed to be a live performance that would have, was going to premiere in March 2020 at the She Scores Festival, which is Camerton's festival featuring um, music by female voices that occurs every year. Now, Camerton is five players, an elder as soprano, Sarah Strank as, as flute, we have Emily Cook on bass clarinet, Jennifer Sternick on violin and Cecilia Kaufman on cello. And they're all brilliant players and really were up for anything with this piece. So initially the idea was, okay, this is um, one of these kind of quasi theatrical stage pieces. I've right. done a couple other pieces like this in yeah. my uh, in my catalog. One was for Decoder Ensemble back in 20, my oh gosh, 17, I believe. But the, uh, the idea is that there is some sort of um, talk show or some sort of uh, game show or some sort of panel, which you know you constantly see with uh, reality television. And sure. like I say, this isn't something I study particularly hard, but it is something that you're you're just so aware of. It's just a yeah. very you know, very common uh, setup uh, for a lot of television, daytime television especially. So this uh, the idea behind On View was that it would sort of showcase uh, in a musical performance stage, this kind of environment, this theatrical stage in a way. So the uh, performers are not only using their instruments and voices and musical devices, but they're also portraying characters in some way, uh, maybe characters on a talk show, talking heads, and they're discussing things in an order that is formulated. So the form of the piece follows sort of the form of a talk show or the idea that there are segments um, and that there are you know, special guests. So there are um, there are, are elements that keep the show moving along and, and keep a certain level of variety. Mm -hmm. And that was, I think, kind of an interesting thing to play with as well. Um, mm -hmm. All of this is, is really just to make it um, make it interesting to to play with view, um, to have uh, you know, reflective thoughts about, and then to um, be swept into the next thing, right? So, so that's that's the initial idea of the piece. Obviously, there's a lot of content in there, but if you watch the view, there's, I mean, they are always hinting um, or speaking directly about things that deal with, uh, you know, every everyday life and culture. So, this is a way to include that in the piece without, um, I guess, making the piece politically uh, about one thing or another. Um, so for me, it's it's really uh, there are a lot of things that it touches on, and I think the best way to for me to describe what I think it is is just to listen to it. Okay, 
important news. A human rights lawyer with a celebrity husband wore a matchy matchy outfit to the UN. Um, and in really, really, really important news. The Queen of England is updating her wardrobe. Her new outfits will be fur-free. Queen Elizabeth is known for her stylish fashion choices, but she's decided to ditch fur from her new Palisades say the Queen won't get rid of her existing outfit. She still is going to wear fur from time to time. Can you talk a little bit about using uh, repetition and recitation as as part of this piece? There's musical, and then there's um, like text based, right? So right. you've got your you know your musical repetition, which is, I mean, that is uh, something that is. Uh, I guess perceivable from an audience standpoint. This is something that's repeating multiple times and getting louder. That's a thing. That's a line one follows. Right. Uh, there's also the idea of text with you know repetition of text or the idea of a, of a sentence continuing and continuing and continuing. That's something that someone follows. And there, there's the sonic level in which you follow that, and then there's the you know textual meaningful level in which you are following the sentence and what that sentence actually means. And it's sort of like the convergence of those two elements, the way that they move. You know, independently and sometimes together, I think are uh, allows uh, allows for interesting things to happen in the brain where you're trying to multitask um, as a listener. You're trying to hear what's being said um, on one level, but also realizing that what's being said is becoming louder and louder, or that there's um, kind of an inverse uh, musical element happening at the same time, which is giving you certain feelings about what's being said. But your feelings would naturally be the other, and so playing on ironies and those uh, the way that those two elements move back and forth, I think is, you know, it's part of the piece. Um, when it comes to the recitation, the idea of uh, like the chorus, for example, the instrumentalists all um, sing in chorus mm -hmm. and the idea of the Greek chorus sort of being this narrator, this idea of commentary on the side is like very, uh, it's conventional and it's used all the time. And when you have the instrumentalists kind of doing it, they suddenly, you know, take on this sort of general character rather than the individual character and also separate from their individual instrumental musicianship. So in that moment, they're becoming something else. So all of, all of these uh, devices are really just used to create a higher ceiling and more forces for a piece that has five players and five instruments. Um, and then, the, you know, throw the electronics into that too, and then the visuals. And it's just, you basically create a larger space with which to use more tools to tell pretty much anything. Um, mm -hmm. And then you know there's other there's other elements like reference and things like that which um which are also embedded and all of those um all of those i guess uh are used to sort of be to to change any one moment to be sort of anything um mm -hmm. and the more you can kind of stay in that world where where things are moving and there isn't like a very very clear um direction statement and um and you know, conclusion, sure. I think that it's, it has the ability to feel more fertile. Um, there's more fertility. And that's an area that it, the longer you can maintain fertility, the more potential you have, the piece has to sort of attain a forward momentum.
actually thought about this in a more clear way. Um, and I'm not super reflective on this stuff usually, but uh, I wrote a, a little piece for the Wet Ink Archive and it had to do with the process of, of writing a solo flute piece for Aaron Lesser of Wet Ink. And mm -hmm. the short timeline, it was the Library of Congress Commission, it was a three week timeline, I think I had to write this piece and yeah. working with her the entire time. And part of the, the reason I just, I not only jumped at it, but I'm often drawn to situations where I don't have time to think. And that's a very, and I think that actually crosses over into the improv world where the more you just are in the moment and making those decisions, the more you trust yourself in those momentary decisions to be worthwhile and interesting, the more likely you're going to get a piece that's somewhat successful. And that doesn't mean that you don't temper your expectations to be in line with that. So if I if I start a process um, and I know I have two years to write this large orchestral piece, I mean that's gonna be very intimidating for me, and I might um, I might want the piece to be bigger than I can conceptually um, grasp yeah. at that moment. And right. so there's a danger for me uh, in that. However, knowing that it is a small window, the I I have I don't really have all this time to think. I'm going to come up with some something instinctive and just go with it and the, and making the decisions and just just a quick decision um you know saves me from the back and forth the leveling up the you know the um exploring it to the point where i basically become paralyzed which you know um what is it indecision by paralysis is a is a thing in a, in a lot of fields and so i mean that's something i've learned to embrace um in certain ways and and it, it, it helps me not to get too overwhelmed as well so you have a path how much freedom does your path afford you i do whatever i want to do creatively in my opinion and i um i have set things up to be able to pivot and change and to do you know to take on different projects that are you know very different in scope um and then i've also uh, set my life up to be able to um, at any point be anywhere for whatever period of time and to, you know, to be able to, um, make decisions that will help, um, that will help me to be, you know, flexible at any moment when I want something. So that sounds kind of, I mean, obviously if we all have limitations, but, um, mm. so just on a life level, I've left, I, I worked, um, in publishing like nine to five for over a decade. And I, uh, I finally got to the point where I could leave, that um, that particular scenario and uh, just work as a freelancer. I expanded that so that I am not just freelance, but it's it's all flexible and remote. Um, so I can mm -hmm. be anywhere. I can go to Canada and spend two months with my parents, or I can go to right. you know Europe for a, a month. I mean, obviously it's pandemic, yeah. so we're not traveling much. But like right. the yeah. um, but the idea is that I can be doing what I need. To any or what I want to be doing anywhere. And I think that's, um, for me, that's the goal is to, to be able to have the, um, the freedom to cross borders, to move and the freedom to, um, to at any point in time, spend my time doing the thing I want to be doing, um, you know, with small consulting gigs or side hustles, like you will have bosses and, and, and folks that tell you what to do in certain situations, but, sure. you know, to not be beholden to a particular or singular institution or, or person um, has been a good thing for me. Mm -hmm. And I've really, I felt that um, that allows me to take over that 
decision-making process and, and decide when I wake up what I'm going to do and how I'm going to spend the time and when I want to spend that time. And then the other way I interpreted that was just freedom and creativity and the ability, like we talked a little bit with owning ideas, being able yeah. to come up with any idea and to find a place where it can manifest or just to spend two, three hours creating. I think there's, there's no better way to spend time than creating. That's the best. Um, and so being able to sort of create life around this idea of, of that spending your time in this way is the best. Um, mm -hmm. I think I'm, we're constantly, I'm constantly tweaking that model so that I can get more creative time. And, right. you know, obviously it comes with some administration, some you know, organizational time and, and some lifetime, but the, but the creative time, those are the gems. And yeah. um, for me, that's, yeah, that's priority number one. Yeah, it's time to be creative at the right time for the right amount of time. Yeah. Right on time. Oh, I think I'm, I'm quoting Hall & Oates now, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, this has been uh, fantastic, uh, Aaron. Thanks for uh, sharing your music with us uh, and also just your experience. And, and, and I think it's going to be inspiring to a lot of the listeners uh, just because, you know, you, you have this experience in new music. You have this track record of, of making this all work. And I think, especially for a lot of the longer, younger listeners, they listen to this and they are inspired and hopefully encouraged to continue to be creative and continue on this path. Thanks to Erin Rogers for sharing her time in music with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out other episodes in the podcast. And as always, like, subscribe, and leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.